The planet is heating up. The oceans are becoming filled with plastic. Change starts now. Change starts now. We're on a countdown to zero waste. Five, four, three, two, one. This is the Zero Waste Countdown Podcast. Here's your host, Laura Nash. Hello, my name is Ronan. I'm nine years old. Last summer, I went to Madawaska Canoe Center and I learned how to kayak. It was very fun. They serve really good food and I really like their chili. I like kayaking with a, a group. Uh, there's really nice instructors there and really nice people. There's a big rock in the front so all the kids would climb up and, and eat there and play there. I can't wait to go back next summer. Hello everyone and welcome to the Zero Waste Countdown podcast and radio show. Today we're speaking with Steffi Van Wick. She's the director of Madawaska Canoe Center up in Barry's Bay. It's kind of west of Ottawa. Would you say it's a kind of maybe an hour and a half away from Ottawa? Yeah, two hours west of Ottawa. That's what I tell folks. Yep. Nice. Yeah, because it's uh, it's straight north of where I live, <laughs> but I think more people are more familiar uh, with Ottawa, where that is. So it's kind of up, you know, in that region. It's a beautiful, beautiful place and uh, lots of wilderness and some whitewater up there. So welcome to the show, Steffi. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks so much, Laura. Yeah, I'm stoked to be on the show. So I went to uh, to Madawaska Canoe Center last summer, and I brought my son, and he just absolutely loved it and had a wonderful time. The food was amazing. The staff were so friendly. And uh, I noticed when I walked around the back to use the garbage that you guys were almost zero waste. You had recycling set out, and you had food waste, and all of these sorts of things. So we're going to get to how sustainable you are and how you do it as a uh, resort. Um, but first, let's talk a little bit about what Madawaska Canoe Center is. So, what type of center are you in, and and what do you uh, do for operations? Yeah. Great question. And it's a hard one for people to wrap their head around because it's such a small sport that we introduce to people. So my grandparents started Madawaska Canoe Center 50 years ago this year, which is really fun. Lots to celebrate. And the idea behind it was to bring more people into the world of whitewater kayaking and canoeing so that we can travel rivers rivers together all over Canada and kind of give people the skills required to independently paddle. And so 1969, the center was built. And then 1970 and 71 were kind of um, our first years designing the program. But funnily enough, actually, my grandfather couldn't uh, be a professional paddler until after he went to the Munich Olympics because he was worried he was going to lose his amateur athlete status. So we technically opened up our doors in 1972. Your grandfather is an Olympian? My grandfather is an Olympian. um, And my grandmother would have been. She was also on the national team. But at the time, whitewater kayaking was only a sport that males could compete in. Oh, my goodness. Wow, that times changed then because uh, as women that love whitewater, <laughs> there's there's a lot of us. That's crazy. I didn't I didn't know that. Yeah, it's um, so interesting. Yeah, it's super interesting, and it's so cool that you are the director of this place that your your grandparents started, and then were your parents involved in the business as well? For sure. Yeah. So my grandparents ran it for the first 10, 12 years, and then my my mom took over when she was about 25. My grandma really valued the food experience and meals being the German uh, immigrant. She was very tied to her German food heritage. And so our menu is still based around uh, the original yeah, meals that she designed 50 years ago. So that that's really cool because the food was just 
I hate to say it's the best part because I love the river and I loved everything about being there, but the food was just amazing. There are so many different choices and you, I think there were like vegan and vegetarian op- options, right? Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. gluten-free because nice. we want to make sure that everyone can eat nourishingly for what they need. Um, mm-hmm. Totally. When you're being physically active outdoors, you need to have solid nourishing food and so Mm -hmm. we take we take our meal experience really seriously oh yeah the food was just amazing and my little my little boy loved it which is you know it's hard to imagine pleasing all different types of people and adults and then even the kids love the food too like that's pretty good if everybody uh from a huge age group and everything is is loving it and uh it, it you're you're right it is important so to paint what MKC look, looks like, um, it's kind of on this country road, and then there's kind of a big cliff that goes down to the river across the road. So you, you're always going up and down. So you're getting lots of exercise. And when I was there, I was walking my boat up and down so that I could kayak the rapids multiple times. So I was getting so much of a workout, and I'm getting older. I don't paddle as much. I'm a mom now, you know, and uh, I was kind of worried that I might get sore. And actually, I didn't at all from all of that output of energy that I was doing. And it, it now that I think about it, I bet you it was the food because I was just filling up with <laughs> nutrients and good calories and everything after being uh, in those those high, high energy outputs. So yeah, awesome. Cool. Oh, that's awesome to hear. I always say that if you hydrate, sleep well, and eat well, then I mean, not that it's going to heal everything, but like <laughs> pretty dang close. Well, speaking of hydrating, so the first thing I noticed when I arrived at MKC was that you guys gave me some water bottles. And I was like, yes, this is my kind of place <laughs> because I I am kind of anti-single-use water bottle. Oh, I know they sure. have a, a place in, you know, an emergency situation or or humanitarian situation for sure. Uh, but I was so stoked that we were going to be using reusable bottles and we, we took those home with us. So we will have them we love that you could just go to the taps and fill up anywhere uh, because yeah, your water our water's so delicious. So it, it's from a really deep well and then it goes through a UV filter. Yeah. So the water was super good tasting and doesn't take a whole lot of uh, energy or like chemicals or anything, right? To make it good. It's just the UV. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's nothing added into it. For sure. Yeah. So that was really great. So I love the water part. And then what I was saying before that I walked back to throw something in the garbage and I saw that everything was separated. So do you want to tell us a little bit about how you, I I would say you operate very close to zero waste. So could you talk a little bit about that? And I think you even have some chickens. I don't know if those were for eggs or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I wanted to talk about this as a process because I think it's really easy to kind of when someone's doing something well to be like yep we've always done this well but really it was a process and over time and especially because we've been around for 50 years we've created our systems to work really well for what we do and so I think it was the early 80s when the local dump decreased their hours to just one day a week instead of open every single day And the system previously would be that every day at the end of the day, we would drive all the garbage, including all of the food waste and everything that would smell really bad, away to the dump. So moving from that to once a week, uh, my mom was stuck with this problem of storing smelly and um, like it would attract rodents and it would attract bears because we're in the forest. Um, so it was kind of these, this three-way problem of like it's smelling, it's gross, and it's attracting and messing up with the local fauna um, and their, their eating habits. And so through that, we started composting. And so originally, we started composting everything that we thought would compost. So that would include like meat and bread and pasta and like leftover chili as well as like raw fruits and vegetables. And similarly, what was happening, this is over years, right? Like years, years of each change are happening. And so Mm -hmm. we were starting to compost and kind of had this like caged in composting system. And then the only thing that was going into the garbage once a week was 
yeah, like any single use plastic that came on the food that we had bought or, and then recycling uh, and maybe some construction garbage because, you know, old buildings were always in construction. And then the, the food waste and the compost was still not solving the problem because we were composting on site, but it was still attracting animals because it was smelling and it had, yeah, it had this odor that just changed the experience of being in a really nice resort. So then the further process was realizing that we could further separate our compost into kind of raw fruits and vegetables and our paper towels and our napkins and tea bags and like coffee filters and stuff. And then that kind of, what would you call that? Kind of cleaner compost would not smell at all really because it would be fruit rinds like corn cobs um like anything from the kitchen when they're prepping so like tops of carrots and stuff yeah and then we had all of our food waste that we um sent to a local pig and we live in the country so there's always pigs around that people are really stoked to receive uh, and we give a barrel of food a week to local pigs and um and they're excited so we usually get some meat in return and so that's like oh uh like so plate scrapings you know someone not finishing Mm -hmm. the their their crust on their bread and oh like leftover spaghetti slops and then also like anything any leftovers right so like a a big amount of let's say the chili oops we forgot and it went it was like now it's it's a week old and we can't serve that anymore so that would go to the pigs as opposed to in the compost that would be quite a mess so the pigs are stoked about old chili no matter how old it is <laughs> so yeah so that was really fun and then the chickens are kind of another whole thing so we just love having chickens because yes they so we have hens actually so they um they lay eggs and and we serve them and um and eat them and they're delicious and so much like yes we also buy buy eggs and then the the quality difference is astounding like just like the depth of yellow that's in the yolk Mm -hmm. i don't know why it's not quite as dark with mass-produced eggs it's a whole different story but yeah we love having our own eggs and then they they don't really help us with our waste management per se but we do have an additional bucket where we add so that's where we put like hen snacks. So hens really like watermelon rinds and corn cobs that haven't been eaten fully and kind of other things that are like juicy like that. So this is a, a cool point because I have chickens and I have dogs. And so a lot of our stuff doesn't even get to the compost pile at home mm-hmm. because it goes, it's like filters. It goes through the chicken filter first. So the chickens want it. Like you're saying melons, they love tomatoes, anything seedy. And then my dog will eat any like any meat leftovers and if you're vegan and you're vegetarian like then you're you know you're well ahead of the game and and that's really awesome um there's also a place for animals in like a sustainable process if you're into that kind of thing right if oh they're crucial yeah totally yeah because and then they're providing uh fertilizer right so the chickens poop and we lost a horse last year so we're going to be down on on horse manure for our garden but i have 12 chickens now so we can kind of start to replace that lost horse with uh he was really old he was 32 he had a really oh wonderful gosh, life good yeah he was so nice and and happy and stuff of yeah. course easier to take care of chickens and then they give you wonderful nutritious eggs which is uh super super amazing and easy they're so easy and like cute oh, yeah. and friendly and the visitors yeah. here just love watching our hens and the kids especially like yeah, mm-hmm. and they're, they they go into their house at the end of the day, and all you do is just close the door behind them. And in the morning, we open the door, and they go free. And then as soon as the sun goes down, they go back into their home, and then we <laughs> close the door behind them. It's kind of nuts. Uh, yeah, so so it was kind of a process. So I love how you mentioned that the, the dump wasn't taking things um, every day anymore, and that little change kind of propelled people to start thinking about their garbage. Uh, I lived in Whistler for a bit, and they were doing the same thing where they don't have garbage pickup because of the bears. Like, there's so many bears in Whistler. If you put a bag of garbage out, a bear is going to come and 
tear it apart and make a big mess for you to clean up. So you have to drive your garbage away and then it makes you think, well, this is annoying. So how can we reduce it? Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think it's sad to think that necessity creates all change, um, but definitely necessity creates the most efficient change. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like you guys kind of have it figured out. And then I guess you have, uh, do you have to drive your recycling as well? Yeah. Yeah. But it's just right down the road. So. Oh, good. Yeah. So the dump's just down the road and, and they take, they're, they're a transfer station, actually. They're not a dump. So they take our, our recycling and uh, whatever garbage we have that's uh, left over from all the, all the separating. And the cool thing that I like about our garbage system is that it's also a great educational experience for our guests. We're a school and a resort, right? So yes, it's a relaxing, nourishing luxury getaway. Well, it's not even luxury. We're in the woods. It's not not anywhere near as luxury, but it's comfortable. And then, so we're educational in the way of like, yeah, you're you're paddling, you're learning a new sport, or you're diving deeper into the sport that you know and love already. And it's also... As you were saying before, Laura, like our sport brings us to connect with nature and to value anything that you're connected to. Of course, you're going to value and want to take care of it. And so then they can also have this educational experience of, okay, how does how does this company manage their waste? And it's it's a you know, you learn how to get in and out of your boat. Well, at MKC, you also learn how to at the end of your meal, you know, stop and take a second and, okay, napkins go there. Uh, my bones go here. My salad goes here, but then my sauce goes here, right? Like it's such a system. Yeah. And, and yeah, I think that that's a really beautiful thing to, to watch people be like, wow, that this is a lot of work and, and we obviously feel that it's worth it. Yeah, absolutely. I was so happy to see like I eat this wonderful meal and then I walk in and I'm like, where do I put my plate? And then there's like three or four different places to put all my different things. And I I just think, wow, so many places could do this and figure Mm -hmm. it out. But maybe there just hasn't been that push of, oh, hey, we got to keep our garbage for a week, you know? really shocked like I I worked in a couple restaurants and even restaurants in cities that have composting facilities right like cities that do citywide compost that they Mm. weren't in the restaurant um composting their food scraps it was just like this would be so easy because yeah the restaurant doesn't have that much garbage other than food waste like in my in my experience in the restaurant it was like we can all pretty much like there's no separating required, like you're chopping and you're like all this just it goes, it should go into the compost. It's an interesting thing that requires a little bit of inertia. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I know Ottawa has the citywide pickup and, and Belleville has the citywide pickup and it's so much easier than doing it yourself because you're right. Everything goes in the same bin. Like you can put dairy bones, you can put you know, your carrot tops, your napkins, you can put your pizza boxes if you get greasy pizza yeah, boxes. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, it's super amazing. Um, But yeah, when you're out in the woods like you are, like I am where I live, uh, you kind of have to do those things on your own, right? Uh, And compost and um, or or send it or drive it or whatever. So it's really cool to see that you guys have it figured out that way. And uh, what we were saying about the whitewater. So it's one thing to just like go walk around in nature. It's awesome. It's amazing. When you're on the river, you really have to learn about it and like understand it and respect the power, I think, or else you mm-hmm. could get pushed into something you don't want to be pushed into. So you kind of learn an aspect of nature, which is the flow of the river and where it's going to put you and how you can work with nature. Like if you have kayaked before or rafted or boated, you know, there's ferrying techniques where you point your boat a certain way and use the rapids to kind of propel you where you want to go. So you really get to learn how to work with the environment as opposed Mm -hmm. to just kind of walking through and enjoying it by looking at it. You're like in it. You're part of it. And I think that part is so cool for environmental awareness. Oh my God, for sure. And I was talking about this this morning with my roommate about how I don't know if on your on this show you ever speak about leave no trace in the wilderness. 
Um, but I love how there's, so there's seven principles of Leave No Trace. And they're guidelines. And they're not technically hard, fast rules because they really depend on what environment you're in. And so really understanding, like doing one thing to help reduce your impact in one ecosystem would not actually reduce the impact in another ecosystem entirely depending on the soil and the amount of rain, etc. But yeah, I like what you've said. Yeah, any sort of deeper connection with nature is going to help you understand that you that your impact isn't necessarily like you against it. It's very much that you are a part of it. And there is definitely this notion in our culture right now about that there's such thing as nature. Well, in real reality, like nature is everything. <laughs> and that we have this separation from nature is is the actual created conception. Oh, totally. Yeah. Like we can be part of it, right? When I was in the Amazon jungle, my guide and his really she was an elderly farmer. She was 69 years old and I couldn't keep up to her. She was so fast walking through the jungle heat and I was like dying, <laughs> running out of water, trying to keep up. And they had lunch of fruit. So they they brought some fruit and they were walking around eating them. And then they were peeling off all the seeds and spreading them around oh, on their- beautiful. Right. Like, with, like yeah. if I'm doing that with orange peels here, or if I'm doing that with apple cores on the side of the highway, I'm like, bringing animals towards the road right to like come and eat those apples and then they're going to get hit by a car whereas there they they are have such a connection with the wilderness that they can understand that okay like if i were to be disposing of like a, a toilet paper that would be so different than disposing of a seed that's a native plant and i'm actually yeah because humans have such a power to obviously we've what we've seen is create destruction in nature but we have such a power to like to blossom nature, to to support nature, and our role can be po- positive if it's well studied. You know, like if you mm. if you have um, the ability to to learn about how our actions affect the environment around us. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. I love that we are we can be a good part of it, right? And uh, mm-hmm. that's why I like to focus on the positive messages on the show because I don't. You know, humans, there are some bad things that we're doing to the environment, but it doesn't have to be that way. And uh, there are some amazing people that are doing amazing things. And just you guys separating all your garbage and operating. I know you say you don't operate zero waste, but what I saw was the most zero waste any like out of any hotel or resort or anywhere I've ever been pretty much other than my own house. You guys were... Wow. You guys were really on the the zero waste stuff and I just loved to see it and I love that you are uh showing people that it's possible right maybe people go home and and think oh well I could I could separate my food scraps you know just Mm -hmm. simple simple little sparks like that could really really spread um so the the other thing I wanted to talk to you about is the relationship with the dam because there is a dam just upstream from the resort and mm-hmm. uh, you work with them to control the flows and stuff. And, you know, sometimes there are, are good things about dams that they can be a renewable power source, but then I find that they can block nutrient flow and they can cause problems that way. So tell us about your relationship with uh, with the dam. Yeah, it's a, it's definitely an interesting one. Um, paddlers as a whole tend to be against dams because, as for a number of reasons, but as they're created, they tend to ruin sections of, of rapids, right? Because they use the vertical height loss or the altitude loss um, to create power. If the dam wasn't there, what would be there are rapids and beautiful waterfalls, etc., and um, also, they um, they tend to well, they not tend to. They always flood to create a reservoir above the dam, and so that's a huge environmental impact as well. Um, so in the fifties um, and early sixties, a whole bunch of small dams in Ontario were built all across Ontario on all sorts of little rivers. And I don't know what went wrong, but 
they all created these huge lakes and then now it's being decided by I don't know who that they're just not worth creating power anymore like they've made them so they're going to keep them there but they're not creating they're not worth having all the the machinery in them to create power and so what they're doing is regulating flow for the singular dam that they want to invest putting all the machinery and like electronics into to actually create the power and, and to attach to the grid so when my grandparents started or were looking to start a whitewater canoeing and kayaking school they had a bunch of rivers in mind but they wanted to have the longest season possible and because of water flow so in the spring we have as we all know we have the snow melt and so rivers rise in the spring and then over the course of the summer let's say august and july tend to be a lot drier then we have rivers that that kind of slow right down to a trickle and so depending on the river it's either perfect for learning and teaching and playing uh canoeing and kayaking and fishing and everything for in one of those seasons but usually not all of them and so my grandparents were kind of humming and hawing of like okay well which season do we want to kind of chance it to like have the most long season that we could you know spend the whole winter making bookings and then promise that you know someone wants to take a course on this date and that we can guarantee that we will have a great section of white water for them and it was it was a hard it was really hard so as they as, as they were paddlers so they were paddling all across ontario and in quebec as well on all these wonderful sections of whitewater and this section um we call it the middle matawaska which is right below the bark lake dam on bark lake and at the time so this is like early 60s mid 60s at the time there was a dam master which is kind of an awesome title for someone who lives at the dam or, or near the dam and their their full-time job is to go to the dam every day and, and run the dam that's similar, awesome <laughs> similar to like a lighthouse master. Like I yeah. can kind of imagine that that's kind of a similar job. And so because they were paddling there all the time, they developed a friendly relationship with him. And at the time it was just a man and they kind of said, Hey, like how much water do you require to run through the dam over the period of, of seven days? And he knew exactly how many cubic meters per second he needed to pass through the dam in a in a seven in a seven day period during a drought so like what is the absolute minimum amount of water that he could pass through the dam because it wasn't a problem on this section of river to have too much water it was just once the season carried on there was not enough water to be fun to play in anymore the rapids were too rocky too shallow and too mellow and like hard to pass boats through and so they said okay well is there a way for you to concentrate that minimum flow? So that certain amount of flow that is required to pass through during a seven day period is actually for the downstream town's sewage system. So no matter what kind of drought we're in, the downstream town relies on the river to use as its sewage processing system i don't really know the whole details but anyways that's there's a required amount so even when we're at our most drought there they will the dam will always pass through this amount of water and it's quite a, a small amount of water and so my grandparents and this man came up with some math <laughs> about okay if we turn the water super low not low enough to affect the fishery and the ecosystem of the river like we're not drying out the the rivers and the lakes but low at night and on on the weekends when the man didn't come to work didn't come to the dam on the weekends and then how much water for how long of time do we have to concentrate during the day and it turns out that they were able to have 26 cubic meters per second pass through for six hours for four days of a week. 
Um, and 26 cubic meters per second happened to be like kind of the calculated ideal water, but on the lower end of the ideal flows to teach, paddle, learn, um, and play in white water. And so mm-hmm. then we had six hours every day for four days. And so that's why my grandparents created the five-day course that we have water from nine to four or 10 to four-ish. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And then on Friday of the five-day course, we go on a river trip because by then everyone's paddled on the river for four days. They've developed their skill. And then on the Friday, the water's off and we head to another river that's a little bit more challenging and more of a kind of an adventurous day trip so that guests can put their acquired skills to the test still with the supervision and leadership of their instructor. And hence the still the most popular program that we offer was born. The five-day whitewater kayaking and canoe course. It's 50 years later. That's awesome. That's really cool that you could work with the dam. Like I I like that you guys have kind of sat down, had a relationship, worked it out, and everything is uh is good now. <laughs> it's great. Yeah. And so it's been very scary because since obviously it's no longer a, sing- a single man that can make huge decisions like this independently. And so as the years go by, um, and so now it's, it's Ontario Power Generation who runs the dam. And my mom got the Ministry of Natural Resources involved to make sure that that low water that we were bringing the lake the the river to that like kind of overnight on the weekends level when we're in a drought that we like okay mnr hey you guys are the smart folks on this how are we affecting the ecosystem and can we bring the the river to this level and what is that minimum flow so the minimum flow was five cms so five cubic meters per second so we were rocking from five cubic meters per second to 26 cubic meters per second on a daily basis during drought, not drought season. Yeah, the kind of like regular summer season. Mm-hmm. And so my mom is an incredible human. So OPG and MNR, for some reason, was never in communication. And the MNR actually run a series of dams. They run dams that don't create power, like all the kind of rural weirs and like like small old dams that you kind of come across on wilderness rivers like they they're in charge of those and then the opg obviously uh, manages these huge concrete gigantic dangerous systems and so my mom brought together to create a madawaska river management plan with the opg the mnr and stakeholders so landowners recreational users um the public generally and they created the madawaska river management plan together that creates an outline of like hey when we're in extreme droughts this is what we will do when we're in extreme floods this is what we're gonna do and yeah all the while guaranteeing us water for the ability for us to maintain our programs and for the ability for the recreational um, river users of this area to use the to have like a, a section of white water that we can play in and and connect to the river on and then another little blip in the history of our dam relationship was about i want to say seven years ago now the creation of dam valves so um, instead of having water run over the top of the dam and they were regulated by like big logs that were dropped kind of creating like a stacked wall to hold back the lake yeah so instead of that they started to have valves that they could open up from afar like press a button and then these valves would open so they wouldn't have to drive all the way into the middle of nowhere to to open up the dam but the Mm -hmm. trouble was is that these valves were at the bottom of the dam and what is the temperature at the bottom of the lake if it's deep enough it's always four degrees 
freezing. <laughs> so cold. And so then again, oh, yeah. like that really affects the ability to be to have the river be recreationally usable. It also yeah. really affects the fish hatchery and like oh. the, all of the ecosystems. Like it just freezes them, right? Like they're used to 26, 30 degree water in mid-August and here's Ooh. four degree water and then it just kills everything. Yikes. And so there you go. Claudia Van Wyck, she comes in, she brings the MNR. She's like, y'all, the, fi- the fish are getting affected. The turtles are getting affected. The frogs are getting affected. And then the paddlers and the and the community is getting affected, and OPG is is just kind of looking to get the easy way out, right? They don't want to staff like anytime someone's at the dam, they have to send two people, and with, you know with COVID, they have to send two people in two different cars, and it's like a huge amount of expense for them to send people up to manage the dam. So they were really stoked about these these valves, these um, bottom release valve systems. And there's a bunch of rivers that still, you know, they don't have people fighting for the temperature of the water. And so you'll, you know, you'll go somewhere in mid-August in Ontario and it feels like a glacial fed river, but it's clearly not. We don't have any glaciers in Ontario. Well, the Grand Canyon's like that. So if you've ever, man, I I got hypothermia on the Grand Canyon and it was really scary and people were really worried about me and I had to be wrapped up in a taco of sleeping bags and tarps and all sorts of things. It was so ridiculous. Like my mind started shutting down. I couldn't even form a sentence. (laughs) And you think of the desert, but there was, there was snow on the rim and then the, I guess it's the Glen Glen Canyon Dam. So it's a huge dam, not as big as the the big Hoover, but yeah, it's all coming from the bottom. And I never thought that that would be affecting the the local fish populations that just never crossed my mind but that's so true right yeah and that's a whole other story so the grand canyon the river that runs through the grand canyon is called the colorado as you probably know and in spanish it means colored and so historically that river was bright orange and bright red just like the the rocks around it and because it was full of sand and sediment and then the dam creates this reservoir which settles all the sand before it goes down the river. And so all the sandbars and beaches have no way on the Colorado and in the Grand Canyon of rebuilding. And so slowly, if you go down the Grand Canyon with kind of that lens on, you can notice that all these beaches are eroding away and they they don't have the sediment in the river anymore to, to rebuild them. And then all that sediment is actually piling up in the lake above the dams making the dams quite a lot less effective so the dam is both creating a huge amount of temperature difference because they're releasing from the bottom which is always four degrees and they're not letting like as you said this the nutrients and the sediment down the river as well and here we don't i mean we're still top release because we fought for that but yeah we don't have that sediment problem Oh yeah, I never, uh, I never thought about that either. Yeah, it, dams are a weird thing because you know there are there are good things and there are bad things about it. So yeah. it's interesting to hear that you guys have worked so like had a good relationship, right? So I guess that's why when we look at pictures, so it used to be from the top and then they tried to go to the bottom and now they do like almost like a spillway. It looks like it's kind of from is it from the surface water, but it's not. It comes out a chute. Is that what works now? Yeah. So it comes off the surface of the lake. And so Mm -hmm. it's still held back by this wall of logs. And so if they want to let more water out, they lift a log out to shorten the wall. And then so Mm -hmm. what's happening through that spillway off the top is that the, the top sheet of water is kind of falling down a big waterfall and then falling back into the river. I have a good picture of the dam, so I'll post that on Instagram so you can oh, see cool. it if you're if you're listening. It's uh, my son is is kayaking there, and uh, you can see how the it's just a and I love the picture because you can see the dam in the back and little rapids, and the rapids are so good for learning on too. Like there's some. Totally. Um, tougher ones in the middle so you can you know really up your skills and uh the children so my son was eight when he took the the course and or oh no he had, he was nine um but he could he could walk around the bigger ones he could go on the little ones uh sometimes like one of the rapids he flipped over and pulled a skirt and swam out and swam through the rapid and had a big smile on his face yeah. <laughs> through the rapid. oh good nice. yeah Ronan's a yeah. champ it's oh, really yeah. really fun to have him 
he just loves it so much. And, and you know, it's so funny. I'm going to tell him about the, the pigs eating the leftover food because we all had to wear our masks last summer. And you guys were very, very nice, but like a little militant about making sure that everybody was distanced and wearing masks all the time and safe, right? Like it was very safe, safely operated. Uh, mm-hmm. And so sometimes I find when I'm wearing a mask and I look down, I can't see my feet. <laughs> so, yeah. So Rona was walking across uh, the deck and then he tripped because he had his mask on and fell and dropped all his food and then I think he felt like kind of sad and we're all like you know it's okay I you know don't worry about it but now that uh it's going to the pigs I'll have to let them know that um, oh yeah that he just fed the pigs yeah they would have been so excited they they got a full meal that time instead of just the scraps yeah. they got all the good parts that <laughs> yeah. the humans usually take exactly <laughs> Yeah, but yeah, you guys did a, a great job with COVID. And so I don't know if COVID will be around this summer, but if it is, I'm sure MKC will be a very safe place to go. It's super sustainable. So if you're looking for a sustainable place and you have some other courses as well, I saw. So I actually took a sourdough course there in the the fall with uh, Heather and she is uh, planning to come on the show as well. So we'll hear oh, all good. about the history and how to make sourdough and that sort of thing. So I make sourdough every week now. She did a great job of teaching me, I think. Um, so are there are there other events that you have if people are uh, not so keen to get into the whitewater? Yeah, I mean, we definitely focus primarily on, on whitewater. And I would always argue that whitewater is for everyone. I kind of compare it to biking like it's such a small sport that whitewater gets a reputation of being really extreme because the only people who we see doing it are kind of you know the folks that are pursuing more extreme sports and I and I compare it to biking right so biking we have the extreme downhill mountain bikers that send big cliffs then we also have grandma going to the grocery store and so no matter where you (laughs) fall on right so no matter where you fall on like the adrenaline exciting um spectrum whitewater is for everyone like i tend to fall somewhere near the more like i like like what do i like about being on whitewater is the connecting to the river um i find that yeah there's a really beautiful community around it and yeah being with my friends and being outside and, and act like being active and moving in a way that is uh like self fueled or what's that word when you're like, oh my uh, gosh, yes, yeah. So, oh my gosh, this is like the best thing that I love about kayaking. I don't really like boating too much because I just feel like it smells like gas. You know, you're using the motors. You can see like little trails of oil and stuff going out the back. No offense mm-hmm. to people who boat, like it's super fun, right? Um, but I just love getting exercise and like developing muscle. And so kayaking is like the greatest thing to get out on the water and to get some muscle and get in good shape and propel yourself, right? So instead of using fossil fuels. Because you're so much more connected with the surroundings when it's not being drowned out by the sound of a loud motor. So I really find that. Like paddling us can be so quiet. A canoe, kayak, it can be so quiet. Well, also the white water is used like that's almost like a white noise that's healthy for people. I think too, mm-hmm. right? Oh the, yeah, the sound of the rushing water. It's nice even just to go down there and just sit by a rapid. I was down there quite a bit just to sit there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> totally. Instead of kayaking, or I'd walk my boat up and get tired and then sit there for a minute on a rock and look at the water and then and go back up. And the staff were so friendly, too, because I I, uh, I ended up meeting one of the, the staff members and then he was like, oh, I'm going to go kayaking, too. And so we just kayaked together and you guys were going out after work and all kayaking together in a group, like such a positive, friendly, happy atmosphere. It was It was really nice. Yeah, it was so nice to have you there. So good. Um, so the, yeah. our programs, to answer your question, we our, our main five-day course, but then we've kind of themed them. So we, you were there for a family week because Ronan is quite young. And then um, we also have, so we have three of those per season. And then we have seniors week, which is also super exciting. And then we have a women's week and we have a slalom week, which is more geared to folks who have experience paddling and want to kind of up the ante and and uh, 
go through gates and, and maybe do a race. And then, um, so outside of paddling, you were wondering, so yes, in the off season, we do non-paddling programs. And so there is a, we're doing a yoga retreat for the third season in a row. And there's a bike, a cycling weekend, the baking, sourdough baking. And uh, Heather was going to be planning in February here. She was going to do, oh my God, it was such a great combination. It was snowshoeing and making sourdough cinnamon buns and yoga. (laughs) I was like, okay, yes, please. But with the Ontario lockdown, we had to cancel that. And then the the newest program that I've that I um we had someone move in locally, like uh, just down the road here, who was a writer, and she came to MKC to drop off her kids, and she was like, "Wow, like I want to host uh, writing like she's hosts uh, writing workshops before, and so we're doing we're launching our first writing workshop weekend. I think it's September seventeenth and eighteenth, twenty twenty one. So fall twenty twenty one. Oh two-day writing workshop yeah and a shout out to a local here in the bay of quinney area uh i don't know their names creekside yoga oh yeah so creekside comes up and does um so that's the, the so we did our second annual yoga retreat this fall and then after that one we were like let's do two next uh summer because we've kind of had two different folks want to come so one kind of folk wants to kind of merge paddling and yoga together. And then the other uh, group of folks doesn't want paddling at all. So um, we have one midsummer that's going to be paddling and yoga. And then we have one in the fall that's just going to be yoga with an, I think, one afternoon optional paddle. Mm, that's a good idea. Yeah, because yoga goes pretty well with kayaking so that you can kind of stretch out after after for working sure, hard, right? Sure. Yeah, for sure. And like, the theme of balance runs through all of it. The theme of breath, breath being like a calming force when you're a little bit nervous and body awareness generally. Yeah, there's there's so many themes that harmonize through that weekend. Awesome. And there's a, a little bullfrog pool. Oh, yeah. How did that happen? Did they, are they there? Like, that's not a natural pool, is it? It's not a natural pool. So that is funny. So the sauna is right there. And with COVID, we couldn't open up our sauna this year. And it's a beautiful log building. And the sauna gets turned on every afternoon uh, for people to, well, enjoy a sauna after their paddling day. And that is usually like a cold dipping pond when we take good care of it. But this season, we weren't taking care of it at all. Um, like oh, we weren't, I'm sorry. Like, scooping things. No, no, no. I love it though because it—that's exactly what it is. It turned into kind of this like ecosystem. Um, it was still gorgeous, and so we had like tons of frogs that moved in, and yeah, we're kind of thinking that we'll just leave it that way, and then have it just that people will just shower instead of dip into a pond because it's kind of it's yeah. We're definitely creating or supporting the ecosystem in that way. Frog frogs are really cool. They're a good indicator species, right? Because uh, mm-hmm. frogs they breathe through their skin, and so if there's a lot of pollution, they can't really live, right? But these frogs were like the biggest frogs I've ever seen. Like they're from—I don't know if you've ever seen a picture of like a kid in overalls or something from like a hundred years ago holding up this massive frog that's like half the size of the kid. <laughs> yep. Yeah, that's, that's totally that's it. What these frogs are, and the kids love them. Like I'm, you know, Ronan would be running around, and and he'd be like, "I'm going to see the frogs, mom," or like, "I was just checking out the frogs." Like every day, just go and check out the frogs, see what they're doing. Yeah, yeah, and there's so many of them, and they they're really good at camouflaging too. And so you'd see one. Yeah, like, you gotta oh, look cool. around. Yeah, exactly. And then you kind of like put your finger in the water, and then like a bunch move, and yeah, they're super neat. So clearly, we've figured out an environment where frogs uh, thrive. So I, I wouldn't want to take that away. <laughs> You're doing a good job because the frogs are there. You can tell, right? <laughs> yeah. And, you know, maybe they'll eat some of our bugs. Oh, and the mosquitoes. You know what? The mosquitoes weren't bad there. Uh, good. I don't know. Yeah, because they're worse at my house because I live um, near Lake Ontario. It's a bit of a swampier area than up where you guys are, where it's more like shield, right? You're on the shield, I think, right? Yep. Yeah, we're on the shield. Yeah. Yeah. I always I think found them. June can be not awesome for yeah. bugs. Yeah. We have black, because yeah. black flies, yeah, they breed in moving water. So they, they come up from the river, black flies. 
but as mm. soon as it gets too dry for black flies in like late June, early July, they they head out. Yeah, the black flies are vicious and horrible, but they're very short lived. So if you can just get through the few weeks that they're they're there in Ontario, then you're fine. Then the mosquitoes yeah. come. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And but you're right, the mosquitoes here aren't bad. The other thing I wanted to ask you about was the the partnerships with all the local businesses, right? Um, are you okay. so? There's a coffee shop, I think, or a grinder. Yeah. What? yeah. So you use like local coffee. I think there's some local kind of aromatherapy stuff you use. Yeah. So I mean, around here, it, it's a cornucopia of like small businesses and startups and cool people doing cool things. And so um, the coffee shop, the coffee roastery and coffee shop um, called Madawaska Coffee, they live right across the river from MKC. And they actually met through working at MKC. And so they started a roastery in town. Well, they started in their house, but then now they've, they, they've built a bigger roastery. And so we serve Madawaska Coffee in our cafe and our espresso machine and also like all of the coffee that we serve in mkc and it's freshly roasted every morning or freshly roasted probably every week but then um what's it called ground freshly ground every morning and um other good yeah it's so good okay good i'm glad you glad you think so yeah it's awesome it's so nice to wake up and then there's coffee ready for you like it's just the nicest you know you wake up ah nature you know and then and then the staff was uh they were they had to make the coffee because of covid we couldn't like touch any of the stuff right so they would just be like coffee <laughs> somebody would be standing there it was great oh good yeah that was kind of fun we could kind of meet everyone in the morning um and then <laughs> who else do we work with there's um a lady who lives down the road who has started making um, CBD infused muscle creams. And so we sell that. And that's really nice too. Be like, oh, you have some sore muscles? Like, try this. Like, there's testers in the office. Um, nice. We work with a number of local farmers. There's a really, there's a bunch of great farms nearby. Our maple syrup comes from a farm probably about 15 minutes away. We work with a company called Go Greens, which also is about 20 minutes away. And they um, they have a mix of like greenhouses and, and gardens and they only have greens, I'm pretty sure. And so they actually sell to a number of restaurants and cafes in Ottawa, like bigger companies. And then also we were getting a box per week just to have nice, fresh varieties of leafy greens for the mornings that was fun yeah the maple syrup is awesome because i i'm always blown away when i go to restaurants in ontario that don't have real maple syrup because so many restaurants just give you like the corn syrup or whatever and maple syrup is so abundant here like we even make it ourselves you know not just a tiny tiny bit right but Mm -hmm. uh, it's just everywhere and it's so good and it makes such a difference so thank you for serving real maple syrup it it's amazing <laughs> yeah and it was so that was another thing I think we changed that like mid 90s or maybe even late 90s but it was a big cost barrier right like for some reason I don't know why sugar is so much like sugar syrup is so much cheaper like, I guess it's just yeah like from it's from so far away and I can't imagine that it's that much less work but I mean maple syrup is a huge amount of work to make but it's literally yeah, it the is. blood of yeah. trees right it's got like antioxidants in it, I think. It's so good. Ugh, I think it's, I mean, maybe chocolate would be my favorite thing in the world, but maple syrup's really close. It's delicious. Yeah. And a little, little bit healthier than regular sugar. I think, I, I think there's antioxidants. Mm-hmm. And then um, a really good friend of mine who lives just on the other side of the park of Algonquin Park um, from us, she, she distills her own essential oils and so her company is called north shore apothecary named after the north shore of georgian bay and she made us our hand sanitizers for this season so we had like really nice smelling hand sanitizers we had a cedar sage one and then we had a lavender one i think lots of us smelled pretty good that's awesome yeah she would be a good one to bring on the show too i've talked to her before on instagram because her stuff's amazing i have some of the lip um it's like a lip balm or something and it's in a sliding tin container yeah 
Yeah, what yeah. is it? It's like um like mint and cocoa, I think. Choc- yeah, some sort of chocolate. Yeah, it's pretty good. And uh, I like the the container, like the sliding metal container, because it's recyclable and it's not uh, mm-hmm. it's not, not a plastic, plastic tube, right? The plastic. Yeah, she works really hard to make sure that she doesn't have her stuff in plastic. We had to work with a plastic bottle for the hand sanitizer because we wanted people to be able to put it in their life jacket pocket for the river and not worry yeah. about smashing. But um, other than that one product, she works with all glass and metal, which is super cool. And it's so beautiful. So she's done a couple workshops with us. Sometimes for our, like our evening programs, we bring, we've brought her in a couple times to, to just talk us through you know how and we harvest so we uh kind of decided as a group like okay what are we wanting to make like are we gonna make a perfume and then we went around and she she does like a smelling tour and so we'd go around and like smell the cedar and smell the like oh there's a there's a peony that my mom planted and it's like all these like it's like a smelling tour of the area and so we ended up i think it was uh fur so i think we um, harvested a bunch of fur and wintergreen which ended up being a really cool combination of smells and then we made our own like Madawaska Riverside perfume yeah oh wow cool. that's awesome yeah I remember you having like lots of good gardens and little there are little signs showing like what different things were which is cool for kids yeah, as well so. that's all my mom yeah I can't take any credit for that she's uh, <laughs> yeah, she she's did a great gardener mm-hmm. and so if people are listening and they don't want to commit to the paddling school they can go for a day trip rafting is that right totally yeah yeah you know our programs well um so our rafting trips we um we pride ourselves that it's the most accessible rafting um in the world so we take two-year-olds and it's quite a lovely tour of this beautiful river um it's very mellow but um like engaging at the same time. So it's a two hour trip and you get to see the Madawaska River. Yeah, it's beautiful. It's a nice float. The rapids are good. So it's fun for the kids to sit in the front and get really splashed. And uh, there's a cool little history, I think, because isn't it a park or something? So there's some houses built on the river, but no more can be built because those old ones have been grandfathered in. And is that what happened? Yeah. Yeah. Another interesting thing that my, I was actually my grandparents too. So when they uh, decided that Madawaska was going to be their destination for MKC, they 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 could have built on the side of the river, and I I think retrospectively I probably would have because you know as you said at the beginning of this show you walked up and down this hill right, and so why do we walk up and down the hill? Well, they knew that if we would build, if we were allowed to build on right next to the river than everyone would want to build right next to the river and so it was all crown land at the time and so they with their I don't know how you end up buying crown land in the 60s but that's what they did and then and then they they rallied to get the rest of the crown land a uh, conservation preserve so mm-hmm. not any you're not allowed to build any additional buildings on or have like none of that is allowed to be private land mm-hmm. yeah which is kind of neat but there are still some houses that were already there so you can kind of see those as you mm-hmm. as you float by and uh yeah it's really cool so yeah it's a it's a wonderful place if you have the time and you're in the area if you want to take a day and go for a raft tour or if you are interested in learning paddling and connecting to nature on that level but also being taken care of at the resort it's uh it's a really nice place to be i think things book up really fast too because i i remember looking at one last summer it was all booked so i think you're a pretty busy resort and uh but not it's not like crowded or anything or busy i don't mean it that way right i think it's Um, yeah it's 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 busy to book because we limit it to make sure that yeah. we have quaint numbers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's manageable and not harming the environment. If you have like thousands of people, you know, there, I mean, how, so how many guests do you usually get in a whole summer? We limit it to 30 students per week. Um, at least this season with COVID we did um, mm-hmm. sometimes. So before COVID we were at about 50 limit limit to 50 students per week. 30 was so Mm -hmm. nice. 
Yeah, it's a wonderful place. Ronan and I are booked in for one of the family weeks this summer, and uh, we're both really excited to go back. And Ronan's going to improve on some of his skills, and he's excited to do the bridge jump again. Yes, <laughs> wonderful. Yeah, we're so excited to have you guys back. Right on. Yeah, we we can't wait to go. Well, this has been great. So um, thank you. This has just been wonderful. I look forward to seeing you next summer. And thanks for telling us all about the dam and how you've become so sustainable. It's great. Thanks so much for asking such interesting and important questions and welcoming onto your, me onto your show. Thank you so much. It's been really great. That was Steffi Van Wick. She's the director of Madawaska Canoe Center in Barry's Bay, Ontario. Change starts now. This is the Zero Waste Countdown Podcast.